0: Hello and welcome to The Forge. My name is James and this is the place where I teach verse by verse through the Bible. I am a retired U.S. Air Force Master Sergeant who went on to serve the Lord's Church as an assistant pastor, worship leader, and youth pastor. During my time in these roles, I finished seminary and I hold a Master of Arts in Biblical Studies and a Master of Divinity. I've been involved in ministry in some form for over 25 years, and it is my hope that this podcast will be a blessing to you as I teach from God's Word, the Bible. Forge exists to serve those whom the Holy Spirit is calling into a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. This is done through biblical teaching so that individuals understand God's forgiveness, live in its reality, and overcome the wounds caused by bondage to sin. I will always hold to the truth found in scriptures, and a summary of my doctrinal statement is worded perfectly in the five solas of the Reformation. I believe Christians experience gratefulness and renewed purpose as they are encouraged by the words of life, which spring from the Bible. I pray that this podcast plays a role in God's ongoing work in your life. Don't forget to look in the show notes for links to the podcast website where you can leave a donation or leave a voice message with questions. I will be collecting questions for a future Q&A podcast. Also, please leave a review on whatever platform you are using. That and telling others about this podcast are the two biggest things you can do for me. Now grab your Bible and get ready for a verse-by-verse study. May God bless you. The reading and the hearing of His Word. Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Forge. I am so glad you're taking the time to listen. Before I get started this time, I'd like to take a moment for some clarification. You know, I try to edit these podcast episodes uh, and I take the time to actually write out what I'm going to say, Uh, but it seems like that I always find things or uh, my listeners find things that could have been explained in a better way. And uh, let me just say, I appreciate your patience as I continue to learn production as I'm actually trying to do it. (laughs) But that said, I want to address something that I mentioned in the last episode about the water being around 30 feet deep during Noah's flood. A better way to explain that particular thing would have been to say it this way, I hope. I'm going to try to make it better. Imagine the highest mountain peak of Noah's day. Now, in our day, the highest place on earth is thought to be, by many, Mount Everest. In fact, that's what my first thought was, and perhaps that's what your first thought was. But I decided to do just a little bit of... Uh, searching on the internet, and uh, I came across something that I didn't really know. If you want to be technical, it's Mount Chiborizo, I think is how you say it, or Chiborazo. It's the highest peak on the earth, and it actually reaches up to 20,549.54 feet above sea level. So, Imagine going 15 cubits higher than that point. The Bible says that the flood waters went 15 cubits upward. So we remember from our previous episode, if we use 17.5 inches for a cubit, that would mean that the highest point that from the highest point on Earth in Noah's day, we could add an additional 21.875 feet. Now, if we use 24 inches for a cubit, we end up with about 30 feet higher than the highest point on earth. Again, we're talking about Noah's day. So when I stated that the water was 30 feet deep, I didn't actually mean that it was just 30 feet deep across the globe. What I really meant uh, was that God's word tells us that the mountains were covered And so that would imply that you go to the highest mountain peak, and then you measure another 15 cubits upward from that. So I like the 30 feet value uh, for the use of the 15 cubits. But again, uh, you know, you you decide. But obviously a valley uh, would have been filled with water to a much greater depth. And that's the point. I hope this makes some sense and clears up any confusion I may have caused by not explaining things well. <laughs> Another thing I thought I should be uh, talking about um, in this episode and try to clear up has less to do with a li- Bible lesson, uh, and it has more to do with my education. I made mention of a class that I took, Old Testament survey. I took this course years ago. I stated that I did not do well in that class. At the same time, if you listen to my introduction to each episode, I state that I have completed seminary. So you might be thinking, well, what kind of student was he in seminary if he didn't even read the textbook for Old Testament? Um, And I'm so glad you asked. The Old Testament survey class was a 100-level course at a private Christian college And it would be over 30 years before I would graduate from seminary. Two different schools and two totally different people almost taking the classes. One was mature, uh, one was not. When I finished seminary, I did so with honors. And this is not meant as a boast, but it is meant to clarify. So feel free to let me know if you don't understand something that I've stated. Let me know if you have questions really over any Bible subject. I'm in the process of collecting questions for a future episode of Question and Answers. Now, without any more delay, let's read Genesis chapter 8, and we're going to attempt to cover chapter 9 as well in a single podcast Hear the words of the one true and living God. Genesis chapter 8. Then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped. And the rain from heaven was restrained. And the waters receded continually from the earth. At the end of the hundred and fifty days, the waters decreased. Then the ark rested in the seventh month, the seventh day of the month on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters decreased continually until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. So it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark, which he had made. Then he sent out a raven, which kept going to and fro until the waters had dried up from the earth. He also sent out from himself a dove to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot, and she returned to the ark to him. For the waters were on the face of the whole earth so he put out his hand and took her and drew her into the ark to himself and he waited yet another seven days and again he sent the dove out from the ark then the dove came to him in the evening and behold a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth and no one knew that the waters had receded from the earth so he waited yet another seven days and sent out the dove which did not return again to him anymore. And it came to pass in the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, that the waters were dried up from the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark, and looked, and indeed the surface of the ground was dry. And in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dried. Then God spoke to Noah saying, go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you, bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and cattle and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him, every animal, every creeping thing, every bird. And whatever creeps on the earth, according to their families, went out of the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth nor will i again destroy every living thing as i have done while the earth remains seed time and harvest cold and heat winter and summer and day and night shall not cease so god blessed noah and his sons. We're in chapter 9. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, on all that move on the earth and on all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as... The green herbs, but you shall not eat flesh with its life. That is its blood. Surely for your life, blood, I will demand a reckoning from the hand of every beast. I will require it. And from the hand of man, from the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood by his blood shall be shed for in the image of God he made man. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and the And every beast of the earth with you for all that go out of the ark every beast of the earth thus i establish my covenant with you never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth and god said this is the sign of the covenant which i make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations I set my rainbow in the cloud and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth it shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud and I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. And Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. Then he drank of the wine and was drunk and became uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. So Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him. Then he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, he shall be to his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. And Noah lived after the flood 350 years, so the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. May God bless the hearing of His Word. So let's begin with chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. As I've said before, we use human words and thoughts in an attempt to communicate things about God. The Bible tells us that God remembered Noah. We should understand that God did not ever forget Noah. What kind of God would we have if He forgot things? Remember is a Hebrewism or Hebraism for began again to act on their behalf. God does not forget his people. (laughs) Indeed, he acts on their behalf. Just remember that if you're his, it may take a while, but he will once again act on your behalf. I want to read a passage to you from Second Peter chapter three. Second uh, Peter chapter three, verses one through seven. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully, willfully forget, that by the word of God, The heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Now, to be clear, this passage in Second Peter is talking about the promise of Christ's return, but there's a few things here that are worthy of note that are relevant to Noah's flood, and that's why I introduced this passage into the discussion. Specifically, verse 6 tells us the world that existed perished because it had been flooded with water. Again, this shows us how different parts of Scripture rely on other parts of Scripture. Peter, the one writing this epistle, believed in the flood of Noah, and he's using it here as an illustration. He states that he wants to remind his readers of the words of the prophets when mockers and scoffers come. He's talking about the skeptics of our day, too, just to be clear. He says they willfully forget That God created all things by the power of his word is really what's going on here in this passage. Peter is pointing out that God judged the world and that God is currently holding the world together even now, just as he did pre-flood. And Peter promises that the next judgment will be one of fire. Peter reminds us that God keeps his promises, and that's what I want us to draw out of this as well. So, dear Christian, if you're wondering if God has forgotten you, if you think that he's not going to keep his promise to you, if you're discouraged because it's been a while since you have seen him act on your behalf, remember, as it says here in this passage, if you read on in 2 Peter god is not slack the word slack he is not slack concerning his promises in other words he doesn't forget he remembered noah and he will remember you dear christian so also notice the flood had taken 150 days 150 days of just sitting there while it prevailed the bible says So why was this necessary? Imagine dead animals buried in layers of sediments uh, or animals still floating on the surface of the water. Imagine that the entire world had been blown up with tremendous force and pressure. It would take some time for things to settle down to the bottom. I've often imagined a peaceful calm that began to settle after such a calamity, how quiet it must have been when the storm was over, outside the ark, that is, because I'm sure it was noisy inside the ark. And that leads us to verse two. As we take a look at verse two and uh, as we continue on, there's three uh, specific actions taken by God here in verse two. First, the fountains of the deep were stopped. The underground rivers and springs, which had burst forth, were now capped and back in their proper place. Second, the rain from the sky has stopped. The third thing which we see God do here is he causes a wind to pass over the earth. Was this the beginning of wind currents that we still have today? The pre-flood world would not have had wind currents due to the massive water blanket above. This would have also made temperatures very stable, as I've said before, over the entire planet. Tremendous pressure of water pressing downward on the earth would likely cause tons of earth to be moved upward. And that's what gives us today's mountain ridges. Imagine this great blanket of water falling out of the sky. There could have been great earthquakes not mentioned here as the earth opened up to take in great quantities of water. Could this be where the great lakes came from or the grand Canyon? The evolutionary explanation for the grand Canyon is that it took a little bit of water over a long period of time. To create what we see today. Of course, they forget to tell you that the water would have had to been flowing uphill. The biblical worldview says that it took a lot of water and a little bit of time to make the Grand Canyon. Again, this is one of those wonders of the world which I have had the privilege to see with my own eyes. I've stood there on the edge, and again, it's breathtaking. For the evolutionist. It's just a process of random chemicals and actions and no guidance and no purpose. To the believer in Jesus, we stand and look at something like that and we see the glory of our God, the power, the magnitude of our God. Because we believe that the earth opened up to receive massive amounts of water. Post-flood, the world would begin to experience extreme temperature variants depending on the region. And that's exactly what we have today. Today's polar ice caps were started since the great water barrier above was now brought down. And more harmful UV rays are allowed in before the flood. They were blocked out. You can do the math on your own, uh, but from the start of the flood to the time the ark rested and Noah stepped out upon dry ground was 370 days. Some commentators have put it at 365 days. We know that some ancient cultures used a 360-day year. Uh, we gained, or we have gained, uh, five point two five days somewhere along the way according to these ancient calendars that used 360 days there are many theories on how and why this happened why um, some cultures have a 360 day year others have 365 the point here is that noah and his family were in the ark for at least a year think of the provisions that they had to carry Think about the sanitation that they had to plan for. It's one reason why I am personally fond of the uh, artist's uh, concept of an arc, which would capture some of the rainwater from outside, actually filter it in and through the arc, uh, through a uh, opening in the bottom of the boat, as we've talked about in the previous episode. Of course, this is all speculation, but it certainly is interesting when you think about what they had to plan for. I want to call your attention to verse 22 in chapter 8. It says, While the earth remains, see time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. This verse is written as poetry. Notice the first line while the earth remains. To remain in this particular context is to continue. It's to go on. It's to be nonstop. Now you compare that first line with the last line. And specifically, I want to focus on the last word. It says, and day and night shall not cease. To cease is to do the opposite of remaining or continuing. And now take a look at the middle parts of the verse. You have seed time and harvest. These are opposites, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night. All of these are a list of opposites. It shows a cycle to things, an order, if you will, and it implies that there will come a time when things will not always be this way. Notice that it says while the earth remains. Of course, this means that God has set these things in motion and he intends for it to remain this way, but only while the earth remains. It's interesting to examine these certain aspects of Hebrew poetry. So at this point, I want to look at a rather large section altogether. We're going to take from chapter 8, verse 15, all the way through chapter 9, verse 17. Noah builds an altar, and he makes a burnt offering unto the Lord. I would think this would be the logical and correct thing to do, God has just saved me and my family from a complete and total destruction. Making an offering of thanksgiving to the Lord is the least that I could do. But here we find the Lord making a promise to Noah that he will never again destroy the earth by water. God does, however, point something out here. The imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. This is another way of saying that the intentions of the human heart are evil from the time a human is born. Think about that. Anyone who has seen a little baby being born or been present around an infant, think about this little baby cannot do anything on their own, But they have arrived, and they want to let everybody know they are in charge. (laughs) Can't do a thing for themselves, but they are extremely self-centered. We are born sinners. And the Bible tells us that the imagination, the intention, the desire, the will, of man's heart is evil from his youth and as we've already made note of god has set up seasons the earth had not been completely destroyed but i believe it is now radically different the oceans were much larger now the firmament above was now down on the ground land areas were less extensive now um, and there were greater portions that were uninhabitable now we have deserts now we have extreme cold there would be no thermal vapor blanket thus we would have strong temperature differentials throughout the world and this as i've already stated makes portions of our planet totally uninhabitable mountain ranges now emphasize a rugged topography which makes it harder to climb and it makes it harder to get around the mountains. Today's world is one of wind storms of all kinds. We have rain, snow, volcanic activity, earthquakes, tsunamis. All of this is now possible in a post flood world. And as I've stated, a reduced content, water content uh, in the atmosphere now contributes to a shorter Lifespan, not only for mankind, but all living things. As I've already alluded to, those harmful UV rays, they're not blocked nearly like they were pre flood. In the short term and immediate days, and possibly the immediate years post flood, there were tremendous glaciers, rivers, and lakes which existed for a time. I believe we still see the results of these things today. Only relatively recently have many of these things dried up or changed, providing a little more stability. All of these factors, everything that I'm talking about when I talk about uh, the differences between a pre-flood world and a post-flood world, when you look at these differences, all these factors could have accounted for an ice age that would have happened in a world post-flood in the short term. You may remember that I recommended a book, The Genesis Record, when we first began this study. Here's a quote from that book from Henry M. Morris. He says, Because of the tremendous physiographic and isostatic movements generated by the collapse of the subterranean caverns and the post-flood uplifts, The crust of the earth was in a state of general instability reflected in recurrent volcanic and seismic activity all over the world for many centuries and continuing in some degree even to the present i would also point out that once the flood was over the land uh, needed time to gain back vegetation plants had to resurface and seeds had to germinate It's even possible that the Earth's rotation was sped up. It is possible that the reason the ancient calendars that I've made reference to were set at 360 days is because it's a fact that it was a 360-day year and it didn't have anything to do with lunar worship. It could be. I'm not saying that it was. I'm raising the possibility that it could have been. The earth would only need to speed up about 1.5% to account for the difference. What I'm driving at here in all of this discussion is that life is obviously not impossible for humans on the earth today, but it is more difficult today than it was before the flood. I'd like to reread a portion of chapter 9 beginning at verse 12 chapter 9, verse 12. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be for a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is, is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. The rainbow is the sign of the covenant by God that he would not destroy the earth by water ever again. It is not the sign of diversity and inclusion. It is not the sign of sexual perversion and confusion let me say that again the rainbow is the sign of the covenant by god that he would not destroy the earth by water ever again it is not the sign of diversity and inclusion it is not the sign of sexual perversion and confusion While the enemy has found a way to mock God's sign of the covenant, as Christians, we must never forget that no matter how it is mocked, no matter what the sinners of the world attempt to make it, God's covenant is made, initiated, and kept by him. Scoffers will scoff. That's what they do. That's why they're called scoffers in the scriptures. But God does not change in terms of His holy character, nor does He change in His covenants. So let's examine God's everlasting covenant here a little bit more, as well as other principles that are established in this section of Scripture concerning a post-flood world. This covenant was not only between God and man, but with all living things on the earth, it is not conditional, and it does not depend on man doing something first. I want to say that again. It is not conditional, and it does not depend upon man doing something first. Notice that man is made responsible to protect the sanctity of human life by orderly rule. Verses 5 and 6 grant man's government the right to take the life of another person who is guilty of murder. God delegates this right and moral responsibility to the state, and this is fundamental in understanding the laws of the United States and really Western culture on the whole, or at least what the laws and the culture were originally meant to be we are based in verses just like this that we find here chapter 9 verse 5 and 6. God places no additional curse on the ground, you may notice. He says that he will no longer curse or will not increase the curse on the ground for man's sake. The order of nature is confirmed and the fear and dread of man is among the animals. And this would imply that pre-flood, there was not this dread and fear from the animals uh, toward man. Perhaps this is one reason why the animals came to Noah willingly and came into the ark, that and they were commanded to do so by God. Uh, Humans now eat animals, which is something that we have no record of pre-flood. In fact, what we have pre-flood is what appears to be a vegetarian world. We also find prophetic words from God. Canaan's descendants will be servants to their brethren. Shem will have a unique relationship with God. And as time unfolds and we read more of the Bible, we learn that Jesus, the promised seed of the woman, actually comes from Seth's line. Japheth will be the father of enlarged people groups. Not that the other people groups do not have these things, but it is Japheth's line which is credited with advances in history and art and science. Many advances, both in the modern world and in ancient times, can be traced to people who are directly in the line of Japheth. We will learn more about these sons when we get into the Bible's uh, table of nations here in the book of Genesis as well. But here in chapter nine verses 20 through 29, we have an interesting series of events which show that man truly has his heart set on evil as God observes earlier in this section. This is one thing which the post flood world has in common with the pre flood world. Man is evil. These events may have taken place decades after the end of the flood. Uh, toward the end of this portion of scripture, we see that Ham's youngest son Canaan is cursed. This is how we know that at least some time has passed, at least 9 months have passed because Canaan, I'm sorry, Ham now has a son named Canaan. And that's why I've kind of come to the conclusion that the events that we find here in these verses could have happened years after the flood. It's reasonable to think that Noah's three sons had probably moved away some distance from Noah to begin replenishing the earth, but they remain close enough for the occasional visit. It's safe to assume that Noah probably thought that he would be alone. And this explains why he felt free to be naked. He drank to the point of drunkenness. So he grew a vine of grapes, partook of the juice, which had been fermented and made into wine, and he drank to the point of drunkenness. Now, before we judge Noah too harshly here, for being drunk. We should be honest. He's been through a lot, wouldn't you say? And I'm not saying it's okay to get drunk, but I'm saying I can certainly understand why he would want to do so. Perhaps there was a family gathering. Uh, We know that the, all three brothers were there because the two other brothers besides him play a role. There could have been a family reunion and Noah simply had too much to drink, but here's what we know for sure. As I've said, he planted a vineyard, he made some wine, he got drunk. So whether there was a family reunion or not, I can understand why Noah may want to get drunk. We know that he falls asleep in his tent and that he is naked, While there's a lot of speculation in what I've said here about a family reunion and family getting together and family moving away and the time and all of that, I believe that it's reasonable. But we must be careful with Scripture not to attempt to make it say something that it does not say. And we must guard ourselves against the tendency that many people have to read 21st century Western culture back into an ancient middle eastern culture however something did happen here when ham saw his father naked the scripture tells us that ham the father of canaan saw noah's nakedness and told his two brothers outside in response watch what the brothers do they take a cloak they walk backwards into the tent so that they would not see their father's nakedness and they cover him up through the years People speculated that Ham castrated Noah, that he raped Noah, that he had sex with Noah's wife, which would be his own mother, and probably even more things have been speculated that I've never heard about. And people ask, what exactly did Ham do to Noah? And the answer, I think, is directly in front of us. The truth of what happened that day is probably not nearly as dramatic as these speculations, but it is just as evil. It is highly likely that Ham delighted and even mocked his father's apparent weakness. Ham's sin was disrespect for his father. If, as I've stated before, there was some kind of law similar to what God would eventually give Moses, then Ham apparently had no respect for it. He was disrespectful to Noah's moral code. And thus, he was disrespectful of God. And although the book of Leviticus had not been written at this point in the human story, Ham violates Levitical law when he looks upon his close relative's nakedness. He also breaks the commandment to honor your father and mother. Again, as we talked about in our study of James, sin, all sin, originates in the heart so what we see here is that ham's heart was not right he had been had he been you know i'll ask the question had he been holding a deep-rooted resentment for his father and now he sees an occasion to mock his father was he nostalgic for the pre-flood world and he wanted things to go back the way they were And had he become bitter, you know, the sons were saved because of Noah's relationship with the one true living God. Ham was a believer in God. He would be foolish not to believe in God, having survived the flood in the ark and seeing everything that God had done. But this is not necessarily a belief unto salvation. Ham believed in that he gave mental assent to the existence of a God and that God had done these things, but that's not the same thing as submission to God and saying, I am depending upon you, God, for my salvation. Ham, no doubt, thought his brothers would get a good laugh out of this also, but we see something different in the other two brothers. They showed a great respect for their father. There's their brothers, the, the brothers reaction, that is Shem and Japheth. It's another reason why I reject the ideas that there's more to this story than disrespect and mockery. Had there been more to the transgression, the brothers would have done more than simply cover up their father. The bottom line is this, our actions show our heart. Jesus told us from the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh the final point to bring out here are some similarities between adam's sin and his life and noah's sin and noah's life there's some similarities here adam and noah were commanded to rule over the earth and fill it, fill it. all mankind is traced to them. We trace ourselves all the way back to Noah's sons, Noah, and then ultimately back to Adam. Each partook of fruit in their sin. Noah took of the fruit of the vine. Adam took of the fruit of the tree of knowledge. James' opinion. James' opinion. J-O alert. I believe that the fruit of the tree of knowledge is the same as the fruit of the vine. I think there is something about the grape. I don't understand it. I don't know why, but there seems to be something about grapes, grape juice, wine. Uh, Rome was known to conquer areas simply because it was great country for growing grapes. So throughout human history, there seems to be something about the grape the bible does not tell us what the fruit of the tree of knowledge is i have nothing to base that on it is simply a jo do with that what you will so we also see that each became naked or aware of their nakedness as a result of their sin each had to be covered by someone else And they both have prophecy at the end of the story, which results in the cursing of mankind. We see it here in our story of Noah with his sons, and we see it all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 15. And with that, we will end our study of Genesis 8 and 9. May you find here in the story of Genesis the promises of God and the salvation of his people. May you meditate on these things and be encouraged as you continue to grow in him. Again, for listening to The Forge Podcast. And don't forget to leave a review with comments. Let me hear from you. Leave a voice message through the link. I hope and pray that you find ways to apply the truths of God's Word in daily living. Remember, dear Christian, you are forgiven. It is by grace that you've been saved through faith. May you grow in Christ in the study of the Bible and truly overcome wounds that were caused by sinful choices and actions of the past. I also pray that you are always reforming, seeking to glorify God in all that you say and do. Remember to be grateful to God for what he is working out, not only in you, but in all his creation as well. And lastly, be encouraged, encouraged to serve God and others as you grow in him.